Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. that your love is forever. That's what the psalmist says and sings. And Father, we want to sing that this morning as we just are reminded of your great love towards us. Lord, and I pray that you just be with this morning as we express our love to you as we come together and celebrate your presence and what you've done in our lives this week. We invite you to join with us and move within us in a mighty way as we just express our love not only to you but to each other as a covenant community brought together to submit and acclaim that you are Lord, we thank you for this and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles if you would. We're continuing in Mark chapter 10 as Jesus is continuing making his way to Jerusalem. Happy Valentine's Day to you. And as Providence would have it, we're talking about the mystery of marriage this morning. Albert Moeller notes that evangelical Christians are gravely concerned about the family as we should be. And this is good and necessary, he writes, but our credibility on the issue of marriage, and if I can have your attention, this is important, our credibility on the issue of marriage, he writes, is significantly discounted by our acceptance of divorce. To our shame, the culture war is not the only place that an honest confrontation with the divorce culture is missing. Divorce is now the scandal of the evangelical conscience. A troubling trend was revealed by a survey from the Barnard Group. It's a Christian group. They released this several years ago where it said, born-again Christians are just likely to divorce as non-Christians. Among married born-again Christians, 35% have experienced a divorce. This figure is identical to the outcome among married adults who are not born-again, 35%. Barna's figures show that nearly one-third of the married born-again get divorced two or more times. In 1969, California was the first U.S. state to adopt what is now called no-fault divorce in the United States. And now the majority of states have this type of law. What he's saying here is that there is a scandal involved in the Christian church I think we would have to agree. In the same way, we need to ask ourselves, here we are on Valentine's Day, and it so happens we're about to talk about Jesus and His argument on marriage, is that we need to see that there's a mystery to marriage that we are missing. And I believe because we are missing or misunderstanding what marriage is, we find ourselves living even in churches with a culture of divorce. And so with that, this morning, I'd like to go to the setting here. In verse 2 or verse 1 of the mystery of marriage in Mark chapter 10, it says, And Jesus left there, it'll be there on the screen, and he went to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, and he taught them. Let's pray. Father, just as you taught them 2,000 years ago, we need to be taught this morning. We need to come to understand marriage, the mystery of marriage. Father, we need to be willing with our hearts open and our ears attentive to hear what you have to say. 
And I know that this can be a very difficult message because divorce affects probably each and every one of us in some form or fashion this morning. The words that you have are going to be tough to hear, but let us not quench the spirit. Father, I pray that you would allow us to see things as you see them. And Father, I pray that we may respond to the gospel, to the grace that you give in addition to your law. And we pray this with all humility in Christ's name. Amen. We need to remember Jesus is heading towards his date with the cross. He has ended his Galilean ministry and he's making his way towards Jerusalem for his last days. And during this trip, Jesus has been spending more private time with his disciples to prepare them for his death and resurrection. In this passage, Mark records Jesus is now again taking time to meet the crowds and to answer their questions as he's heading down. And as we go to verse 2, we see that the Pharisees are going to ask a very difficult question. In verse 2, it says, The Pharisees came up and in order to test him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Coming up to Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to to a divorce his wife. Now this might seem to you and I just an informative question. Inquisitive minds want to know. However, this is not a sincere question by the Pharisees. They are testing Jesus, seeking to trap him. Jesus does what he normally does in these types of situations, answers them by asking a question in return in verse 3. Look at that question. And Jesus answered them and said, What did Moses command you? Jesus takes them to the lawgiver, to Moses. Go back to Moses. What did Moses tell you to do? What does the Pentateuch, what does the Mosaic law tell you to do? And they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Take your Bibles if you would. What they're looking at is Deuteronomy chapter 24. What we see here is when they said, well, they didn't really answer Jesus' question. What they did is they gave an interpretation, a summary of what they believed Moses taught when they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to, and to send her away. And we're going to see that that summary is true. But as usual, the religious leaders are actually looking for loopholes, just like you and I do when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the law of God. We're always in the loophole. All of us are attorneys at heart. We're lawyers looking for a way out of God's law. But in Deuteronomy chapter 24, they're giving an interpretation of this passage. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And that's going to be the key phrase there. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, and she departs of the house. And if she goes and become another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce. So here's her second divorce. And he puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall bring sin upon the land that your Lord God has given you for an inheritance. So they're taking that portion and they're giving a summary. Well, Moses allowed us to give a certificate of divorce. For the Jews, divorce was allowable. It was allowed. However, it's the grounds for divorce that's in dispute. It's, this is what they're debating. This is what they're using to trap Jesus' with. Now, there were two major schools of thought on that phrase, found some indecency in her. 
He finds no favor in it. So what's the grounds for divorce? Why could he give her a certificate? Well, one group taught a very strict view. That view of divorce was permitted for gross indecency like immorality, adultery, some type of fornication, something of that nature. However, another group taught a very lenient view of finding fault in her. And that was divorce was permitted for anything like an improperly cooked meal, uh, not being a good homemaker, uh, forgetting to make the bed, or finding someone else that was more beautiful or even prettier, or some type of thing. Like they were very lenient. They could divorce for almost any reason at all, similar to what we would have today as a no fault divorce. So the Pharisees here are trying to trap Jesus and trying to get him to pick a side in order to silence him or alienate one to the other. But Jesus is not going to follow them down this path. Instead, the word of God speaks with authority and he levels an accusation in verse 5. And let's look at that. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. You see that? In their interpretation, they're getting it wrong. They're looking for the loophole, but Jesus displays exactly why Moses did this. And he says it's very simply because of the hardening of your heart. So what he's saying here, divorce is for those who have hardened their hearts against their spouse. Now Jesus knew exactly why God had gave Moses those instructions. The allowance for divorce was an attempt to bring some type of social order in a fallen world in rebellion against the commands of God. It was some way in saying, we live in a fallen world, it's going to happen, so how do we make it happen in an orderly fashion? Theologian Walter Wessel writes that the rabbis mistook God's gracious provision in allowing divorce as his approval of it. And we do this many times with Scripture when God does not actually come out and say yes or nay, but since it's allowed, we give it approval. It's almost kind of like what's that uh, statement we'll use. It's better to get what? Forgiveness rather than permission. It's almost that kind of mindset. They mistook God's gracious provision in allowing divorce as his approval of it. However, instead of approving divorce, God tells the prophet Malachi that he hates divorce. And that's not something that he has put forth. It says, for it covers one's garment with violence. It tears asunder something special. So Jesus, in verse 6, as we go on, we see that Jesus is going to correct their error by referring them back to the creation order and the creation mandate. Look at verse 6 of Mark chapter 10. For Jesus goes on and corrects their interpretation. He says, but from the beginning of creation... Let's go further than just Moses. From the beginning of creation, God made them what? Male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become what? One flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man what? Separate. Now, these are not my words, and this is not my interpretation, but I believe if you and I read this, the words of Jesus are fairly clear, is it not? What God has joined together, let no man separate. See, Jesus, again, corrects their misinterpretation, just like he does many, many times in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. 
You have read, but this is what it means. He's correcting. Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2 at the creation when God gave and ordained the very first marriage. You and I must realize is that marriage is not a man-made institution, but a God-ordained one. Hence why the fight for the sanctity of marriage and for what marriage actually means is, is the fact that we do not believe that it can be redefined. It cannot be reorganized, for it is a gift from God. The husband and wife, he says, are now not just two people, but they are one. That one flesh is a Semitic expression that simply means one. They are no longer identified as two individuals, but they are one. However, you and I, many times as a culture, we treat marriage as if it's all about us. Just an individual. But the impact of divorce, you and I recognize and know, reaches far beyond any one single individual. Divorce has a ruinous effect on the vitality of the whole community, not only on your family, but the whole community of God and on its ability to fulfill its calling as God's holy people. And what we're going to see here is Jesus is expressing that divorce is anti-God. Jason Steelman, the author of the book Dual Citizen, he writes that God never deals with us merely as individuals, but always in the context of a covenant or formal arrangement that he has made us collectively. Let me share this with you very quickly. This is editorial, okay? You and I have to realize that we must kick against this Americanized vision of us as individuals. We do it so often. We think of ourselves as just individuals, that Jesus came just to save me. However, Jesus came to save a people. He's calling a people. When he called Abraham, he didn't call just Abraham. He says, but from Abraham, from you, I am going to create a nation, a people. And so we have that so many times. My faith is what? Personal. Okay? It may be personal, but it's not private. God has called us. That's why we encourage formal membership. We believe that's biblical, that you should be with a group of covenant people because you are not called to be a solitary Christian. And so that means you're called to be with a covenant body. He doesn't view us so much as individuals, but as a body. And as we're going to see what that means in a moment. So that means you should be part of a body. And you should be part of the body in working and serving and then being involved in that body. He works within a collective. And behind the concept of not tearing down a marriages is the authority of God himself. There's four things we see about divorce in this passage. And these are going to be difficult things to understand. Number one, divorce is evidence of sin, of a hardened heart. Now you say, wait a second. Didn't Jesus say that if you commit adultery, then one can divorce? Yes. Again, that's a gracious allowance, but not one that is encouraged approval of. See, even if one divorces their spouse, and this is again an editorial on my part, when one divorces a spouse because of adultery or fornication or unfaithfulness, what that's saying is that you are hardening your heart and you're not willing to forgive your spouse and to bring them in. For a man who deserts his wife, or vice versa, it's again saying that you are hardening your heart. 
Now, this is not me saying this. This is Christ saying this. He says it's the hardening of your heart. Moses did not command, but he permitted it to happen because it's a real world and we understand it. Number three, divorce is not part of the Creator's perfect design. We're going to see that a little bit, what His perfect design is. But divorce is unnatural and it's rebellion against God. As Jesus said, it was not always so. So these things are very tough. And you may ask, why is it so stringent? How in the world, if divorce is an evidence of sin, of a hardened heart, and it's not something that we're commanded, but just kind of something that's permissive because of just allowing what's happening in life, and it's not part of his plan, why is that so stringent? Why does divorce have to be such a terrible thing? And let me say this real quickly. Is we as a church many times, though, have handled divorce wrongfully and sinfully as a church and as pastors. There was a time, maybe sometimes in some churches today, where divorce was thought of as the second unforgivable sin. And let me tell you, that is not the case. And for anyone to have that thought would be just as hardened in their heart. And so there was a time where those who were divorced had no place in the church. And I'm going to tell you, that's not God's vision either for the church. But let me tell you why it's so stringent. Let me share with you the mystery of the church. It was found in Ephesians, and if you want to turn there, you may. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul shares with us something about marriage that was not fully understood until it was written to the book of Ephesus, where he tells us that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. In verse 25, when he says, husband, love your wives, he says, because Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle with any such thing that he might be holy and blameless. And he says that he cherishes the church. And so when you and I see this picture of Christ in the church, what he's wanting you to see is a beautiful union. One in which Christ loves the church and sacrificially gives to it. He gives his life and in it his joy. His responsibility is to present the church as holy and blameless. But when we look at it in verse 32, here's the key. When he gives us this picture, this view of how Jesus loves the church, he says this mystery is profound when he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. Once again, Paul is going back to the creation order. He says about that one flesh, he says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what you and I are going and seeing here about marriage is that marriage and the church are the same picture. In other words, marriage was a preview of the church, not vice versa. We say, we said marriage was given at creation. Church didn't begin until the day of Pentecost. Marriage was given as a preview. So in order that we may see what God was going to do with his bride. And we know that one day God will come for his bride, us. We are the visible expression 
locally of that bride. And one day Christ is going to come for us and there will be that great wedding. And there will be that time where He'll present us before the Father as His bride and we'll be washed, sanctified, fully cleansed from all sin. But our marriages are to be a picture of that today. John Piper writes that the ultimate meaning of marriage is the representation of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church. Why does Jesus say, do not get divorced? Why does He say divorce is a sign of a hardened heart? Because it's pointing to the covenant love of Christ and His church. Marriage among Christians, John Piper writes, is mainly meant to tell the truth about the gospel that Christ died for the church who loves Him and never breaks His covenant with His bride. It's a picture, you and I, your marriage, when you stood, you were standing, so to speak, in the stead of Christ. And you say, I will love my wife till the end of all time, until Christ brings us back. Now, I'll tell you, and I'll admit, when we stood up, Dawn and I, what is it? It's 29 years this past couple weeks, 29 years of marriage. We're beginning our 30th. When we stood up there and we were young, and we did our vows, and we said, I do, Ruth, I had no idea what I was saying, to be honest, right? When you're young, do you really know what a lifetime of vows is going to mean? You don't know what life is going to bring you. But as we do that, we really don't know what we're saying because we don't know what life brings. But what we're saying there, it's a commitment that I will love you in spite of everything else. Why? Because it shows how Christ loves the church. Let me tell you, let me give you the parents. The best thing that you can give your children is a good marriage because it presents how Christ loves the church. The greatest example of the gospel is your marriage. You say, well, I can't give, you know, I have a hard time sharing my faith. I have a hard time evangelizing. I don't know if I can do apologetics. Let me tell you, if you're married, you're doing it right now. So let me ask you, when people see your marriage, do they see Christ loving the church husbands? Wives, do they see the church submitting and respecting the church? Or the church respecting Christ? That's the picture. You and I are involved in our marriages in sharing the gospel in each and every moment from the time we wake up to the time we go bed. From the way that we speak to each other to the way that we love each other to the way that we pray for each other the way that we serve each other. It's the gospel. And isn't it sad when the people of the church, those who would say they're born again, in their presentation of the gospel, it's at the same failure rate as those who do not have the gospel. Christ has some tough words. But there's a reason why. Because he's trying to present something here that's very important. John Piper says these tough words. He says, don't divorce your spouse and marry someone else. If you do it, it's adultery. These are the words of Christ. It is adultery because it betrays the truth about Christ that marriage is meant to display. Jesus never, never, never does that to his bride, the church. He never forsakes her. He never abandons her. He never abuses her. He always loves her. He always takes her back 
when she wanders. He always is patient with her. He always cares for her and provides for her, protects her. And wonder of wonders, he delights in her. See, when we divorce, when we walk away from our marriages, what we're saying without thinking it or even meaning it is that Christ will leave us. But what does Jesus say? No one can ever snatch them from my hand. And if you leave me and if you get lost, what does he say? I go and search for you and I bring you back tenderly. The story of Hosea, of a man who loved his wife, even when she went into adultery, into prostitution, bringing her back, showing God, showing his faithfulness through that. The Song of Solomon, a great song that talks about the beauty and the love that one has. Here's the thing that you need to understand. In our marriages, whether you're a Christian or not, this command is for all. In our marriages, the person of God is on display. Jesus doesn't say, do not get divorced just because I say so. Just put up with it. I have to put up with you. That's not what Jesus is saying. For in our marriages, the person of God is on display. His faithfulness and his steadfast love is what? We sung about it all day. Forever. Forever. And so in our marriages, you and I have the gospel-spreading message that God is a faithful God and that his love endures all things. When you and I fall into the trap of considering divorce, we're putting the person of God to disarray. In verse 10, Jesus speaks plainly and clearly, and his words do not get any easier. For he says in verse 10, and in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to him, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I will have to tell you that those are very harsh, demanding, tough words. For I know many who are divorced, whether it's in my family, Dawn's family, people that we know and love, some here. These are very difficult words to hear. But our argument won't be with me. Your argument will have to be with the words of Christ. And I pray you hear these not as condemnation, but pray that you hear them as Jesus is speaking, because he says more. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Because I believe that our response is probably very similar to theirs for Matthew gives a fuller detail of what happens after this teaching. And in Matthew chapter 19, look at verse 10. After he says this, the disciples were shocked. In Matthew chapter 19, look at verse 10. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, 
and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. Through this teaching, you and I get very clearly and very personally an understanding about the values of those that are in the kingdom. For this one is a very uncomfortable topic. What you and I are seeing through this is that kingdom living, living as a Christian is more difficult, is more different and divisive not only to the surrounding culture, but also to the Christian culture. For he is saying, do not divorce. And for us, when we live in a society where we can leave our relationships and we can leave marriages for no reason at all, we find this very, very difficult. We find it too demanding. We're looking for loopholes. We're looking for ways out. What Christ is sharing here is that God will never let you go. That He loves you and He cares for you. What we're finding is that the the decision to marry should be done with much prayer and fasting. There's much more that we could say about divorce. There's much more we could say about divorce and remarriage. But time and the scope of this passage doesn't allow us to. As we know that God does give some provisions for those, and I don't want to go more into it other than what Jesus is saying here, is that marriage shows the picture of how Christ loves his bride. If your marriage has failed, let me give you some words of encouragement. If you have had a marriage that has failed, remember that the gospel of Christ crucified for our sins is the foundation of our lives. Marriage exists to display that. And when our marriages break down, the gospel is there to forgive and to heal and to sustain us until he comes or till he calls. There is forgiveness. There is grace extended. Why? Because he still holds us in his hand. Even when we fail, he is faithful. Paul's command in 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which he has called them. So I would say here, and please listen as I just share this with you. If you're not married, be content until God brings you the gift of a spouse. Be praying for it. Pursue it. Marriage is a creation mandate. It's a creation order. The gift of singleness is there, but it's a gift, as is marriage. But marriage, I believe, is the normal course. So, but be content. Don't rush into marriage just to be married. If you're engaged, pray for God's blessing. Commit to never allowing divorce to be an option. If you're married, stay married. Commit that marriage to God. Grant forgiveness to the offenses of your spouse. Learn to love and forgive and encourage one another. If you're here this morning, you've been divorced. Reconcile with your spouse if possible. If not, remain single, seeking counseling, if still struggling. But if you're here today, like most those have been uh, divorced and you're remarried, you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness. You need to recommit that marriage to God. And let me give you this, if you're here today, and you have been divorced and remarried, God does forgive. We need to recognize that it's sin, but God does forgive. And let me share you this with you, is that God still will bless your marriage. Your remarriage itself is a picture of the gospel of God. 
It too shows the commitment and the faithfulness of God. God blesses the fruit of that marriage, your children and grandchildren. That marriage is not any less marriage than the first marriage. So let me give you those words of encouragement. But instead of trying to take God's word and say, well, that doesn't apply to me, you must deal with God's word as difficult it is this morning. The writer of Hebrew warns his readers in chapter 13, verse 4, to let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. If there's any word, if there's any encouragement, if there's any challenge, let that be so. What your marriage is today, you may have a marriage that's very difficult. You may be in a marriage that is suffering maybe some abuse. There's maybe some unfaithfulness. Let me share with you that God can help you in a marriage. He can sustain that marriage. Seek counseling if you need, but also recognize that it's a gift that God has given to you. And let me share this with you. You are not alone. And this is the thing that I want to impress again and again and again. You are not alone in your Christian life. Whether you're single or married or divorced or divorced and remarried. The church is God's plan for your support. It is God's plan to help us to grow in that gospel story. I don't do this very often, but i like for you to hear someone else share the same thing. Matt Chandler. I'm going to ask Dan if you just play that. Listen as he talks about how the church helps in this area. Now, when it comes to marriage, the church is uniquely designed to help us thrive in this most important of relationships. And and the reason I would argue that way is the church should be, so let me preface it with that, the church should be a a safe place for you to be really honest and vulnerable about where you are. And so if you're walking in a covenant community the way the Lord intended us to walk in the covenant community, then we don't ever fall off a cliff. We're really honest about struggles in the early stages of those struggles. So the community of faith can come along uh, side of us. They can point out blind spots. They can point out uh, where we're believing lies over the truth of the word of God. And they can support and encourage us towards godliness and faithfulness along the way. And so uh, a church who's serious about uh, one another and living out the one another's that we find in the New Testament, a church that's serious about um, really reflecting God's pursuit of the bride of Christ and Christ being the groom and marriage modeling that really becomes a safe place for us to struggle, to be honest, to receive biblical counsel, to have our blind spots pointed out, to be confronted in the lies we believe and supported and encouraged in the highs and lows of what it means to be married. If you get anything from there, I want you to get the fact that we're to be honest with each other and honest in recognizing that Marriage is difficult, is it not? Marriage is tough. There have been many of us that have blown it in some form or fashion. But that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God's covenant community in which we can show love and we're doing what God has called us to do. So I would ask you this morning, let's work as a covenant community in divorce-proofing our marriages. Let's work together to realize is if there's a marriage... Please let us know that's in trouble. Let us help you. Let us realize that we're stronger together. Let's encourage each other to love our spouses and to remain faithful. Let us provoke one another to honor our marriage vows and to never consider divorce as an option. 
And let us commit to pray for our marriages and protect them. Why? Because the very character and testimony of God is at stake in our marriages. It is the very essence of the gospel. And when we're not loving to our wives, when we're not respectful to our husbands, when we're not living as God has called us to, we mar the gospel, not only to ourselves, but to our children and to those who see us. If we argue just as much, let me share with you, this is off kilter, you're going to argue, you're going to argue, you're going to have debates, you're going to have fights. But how we fight and argue and debate as Christians must be different than how the world is. Let me challenge you. Let's strengthen our marriages. For as the marriage, the strength of a marriage, the strength of a church is the strength of the gospel. I'm going to ask you to take a moment. Would you pause? Would you consider and pray and respond? What is God calling you to this morning? Maybe you're a single person. It's time just to be praying. Lord, help me to be the spouse that I should be. Lord, bring that godly man. Bring that godly woman to me. And let me love them as you love the church. It might be for the married couple who says, Lord, thank you for our marriage, but we're struggling. Would you help us to understand how to love? Husband, how do I present my wife as lovely, as perfect or sanctified? If you're here today and you're divorced, maybe it's time to say, Father, forgive us. Give us your strength. Father, we come before you this morning and we lift up our marriages. And Lord, our divorce is something that has been tearing apart not only church homes and families, it's torn up churches, it's torn up this culture, it's torn up so much. It definitely is something that brings violence with it. That's always the result of a hardened heart. So Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts towards our spouse. Soften our hearts towards your word. Lord, let us recognize that many times we see ourselves in your word. And Father, we must just come and ask for forgiveness and ask for your grace. Giving you praise when you give it to us. Thank you so much. I pray that you would just strengthen this church and the marriages. Let us love each other with a godly love. Let it be genuine. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.